welcome everyone. Obviously Gary's gone and others are gone. Uh, why don't we open with a word of prayer. I, my text for today is out of Genesis 2, chapter 24. Gary shared on this a couple years ago. I'm taking it from a little different angle today. It says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and he shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, I come before you and uh, just thank you and praise you for this day. Father, I thank you for your mighty hands. Father, I thank you for your word, and that your word would come forth clearly Father, I ask that you bless and anoint this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I choose this text because obviously there's a lot of things happening in our society. We have uh, our civil governments are changing the definition of what marriage is. This is nothing new. It's been... Uh, really since the beginning of time. I'd like to look at a certain few things. Obviously, we're in spiritual warfare today more than ever, and I think it's going to continue. We need to prepare for that and how to address it. If you look back even in the scripture, and we'll look at some of them today, uh, of wrong relationships in marriage. We have multiple wives. Adultery, foreign wives, close kin relationships, same-sex relationships, and bestiality. There might be some other ones that you can fill in between there, but those are kind of the major ones. Uh, so, as you can see, our society changing and coming up with new definitions for marriage. We need to respond to that. When I was a child uh, in seventh grade, I remember it very distinctly. I was sitting in the far line of seats in the school, and I was sitting in the back. And the teacher that day gave a message on marriage. Of course, I didn't care too much about it. I wasn't getting married. <laughs> I was more concerned about you know, the next gun I was going to get or bike I was going to buy. But it was kind of interesting. We were challenged that day to moral purity. And uh, first of all, that uh, if we married, we would marry in the faith. We would not ever get divorced and we would never remarry if you separated from your spouse you were committed to being single or reconciling to your spouse I remember that very distinctly because I knew in my spirit that was right <clears throat> you marry for life my parents were married for life And I made a commitment that day that I was going to do that. 
not knowing what I was doing. But I just knew it was right. But in the ensuing years, I struggled with that tremendously for the next 10, 15 years. Because you're reading the scripture, oh, people had multiple wives. They didn't get excommunicated. There was adultery. They didn't get excommunicated. There was all these other relationships, and uh, it seemed like I had a struggle in that area. Not knowing that everything in the Bible is not is true, but not necessarily God's plan. I thought it was in the Bible. It had to be okay. So what's wrong with multiple wives? Because it's in the Bible. In fact, in Genesis chapter 4, it's first mentioned. Lamech married two women. Adite and Zillah. And Lamech unto him took two wives. Well, that's kind of contradictory to our opening message here today, huh? How do you cleave the two wives? A lot of people have a problem cleaving the one. But so you see these foundational things of marriage that were diverted from way from the beginning. Lamech was, a, I think, a seventh generation from Adam. So within seven generations, we already have man having a different idea of marriage. Doesn't take long, and you see Abraham obviously wanted a child, couldn't have one with a wife, worked a deal out with his wife to have it with a handmaid. I would say that's almost a second spouse, don't you? Then you see Leah and Jacob. Obviously, there was defrauding, there are fraud. And if you look at these marital multiple wives situation, don't we see a lot of conflict? There's just conflict. And Hagar and Sarah's, it was jealousy. In Genesis 2, 21, in 21, 9 and 10, it said, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, when she had born unto Abraham, when she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman should not be heir with my son, even Isaac. That's a kind of a harsh statement, isn't it? Your wife is telling you, you've got to get rid of your son. He had to just agonize over that. What do you think? So, and Leah and Rachel, we just did that recently, right? And Rachel saw that she was bare, Jacob no children. Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. So we have envy. 
jealousy. So, just with the whole issue of multiple wives, you see there's a problem. And the only place you really find in Scripture about one man, one woman is in Genesis here. So multiple wives is an issue. Other examples would be David and Solomon. Solomon probably was more idolatry than anything. So if you look at multiple wives, you'd say the argument man would use is, well, that's not adultery. They're both my wives. So adultery shows up, and the first time it's ever mentioned in the Bible is in Exodus. Chapter 20, verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then in Deuteronomy 5.18, neither shall you commit adultery, and neither shall thou desire thy neighbor's wife. So obviously there was an issue not only with multiple wives. Now we have someone that's married to someone wants someone else's wife. And you know the conflict of that. And obviously with David and Bathsheba, there was an issue of lust. Uh, obviously here David was lusting after another man's wife. And uh, he did what he did to get her. So you have multiple wives issue. You got this adultery issue. Then as a nation, if you look, you got these foreign wives. And I'd like to read from 1 Kings 11, 1 to 8. And see what happened to a nation when he took on foreign wives. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and the Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, and neither shall they come unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon unto those in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, and he was the heart of David, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtorah, the goddess of Zidonans, and after Melchon, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not after the Lord as did David his father. You see what happens? We start drifting. We start drifting as a people. 
individually, as communities, and then eventually as nations. We will get to that part on the nations. But here you can see Solomon has drifted so far away. And he's the leader of Israel. Did Solomon build high places in Chizmas and an abomination to Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem? And for Moloch, the abomination, the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. You see what happened? These strange wives pulled him away from God. Now what causes us, us to, to drift? Well, selfishness. I think in Lamech's case, they considered he wanted to gain more power and by having more children and more wives, he could control more property and more have a larger territory to take charge of. So there's various reasons why uh, people make these decisions. So we have multiple wives, adultery, foreign wives. Well, it doesn't take long, and that's going to drift down close kin relationships and in Leviticus there's a whole host of abominations regarding close kin relationships so obviously Moses had to do something and obviously he forbidden that stuff and says we're going to purify and these relationships unless they're going to stop they're going to be stoned to death. So you got these foreign wives, close kin relationships, and obviously these same-sex relationships. We saw what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah and others. So you can see why civilizations say, hey, to have civilization, we need order. And obviously they passed laws. Moses passed laws saying, hey, we're not going to do this. As a nation, Israel went into bondage. Babylon took them over. The priest had perverted the temple, and there was a real issue of purifying that nation. It's an extremely hard decision uh, that Ezra had to make. In Ezra chapter 10, you're talking, it says the sons of the priest. Now, when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping, and casting himself down before the house of God, they assembled unto him, he out of Israel, a very great congregation of men, women, and children. For the people wept sore. Now what happened, obviously, they got taken into bondage, Babylon came in, destroyed everything, and took everything from the temple, and obviously the nation itself had, was in idolatry or in, in a sin. And she, Kahaniah, the son of Jahai, 
one of the sons of Elam answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God. We have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. So there's hope. We see the destruction of our society with various alternatives to marriage. But there is a hope, and there's a hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of the Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be good, be of good courage, and do it. This is the only time in the Bible where I think it really talks about uh, a divorce. And it is a national issue, not so much an individual issue. But can you imagine if we were going to try to purify this country, that the leaders of this country, the priests, the bishops, the pope, whoever they are, right, would have to make a decision to say we are going to break off these relationships to purify the nation. Be of good courage and do it. I think Ezra had to be shaken in his boots when they came with this idea. It's so out of the ordinary. It's radical. Then arose Ezra, made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear that they should do according to this word. He says, I want to promise you're going to back me up on this. And they swore. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanna, the son of Elzahab. And when he came thither, he did eat, he did eat not bread nor drink water. For he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of captivity that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem and that whatsoever would not come within three days according to the counsel of the prince and the elders, all his substance will be forfeited and himself separated from the congregation and of those that have been carried away. Pretty harsh judgment, isn't it? If you don't show up, we're going to confiscate your property. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together unto Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month, the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this matter. 
and for the great rain. So obviously they were sitting in the rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore, make confession unto the Lord God of our fathers and do his pleasure. And separate yourself from the people on the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. But the people are many, and it is time of much rain, and we are not able to stand without. Neither is it in a work of one or two days, a day or two. For we are many that have transgressed this thing. Let now our rulers of all the congregation stand, and let them which have taken strange wives in the cities come at an appointed time, and when the elders of every city and the judges thereof, until the fierce wrath of God for this matter be turned from us. And Jonathan, the son of Ashhad, and Jehaziah, the son of Tiltvah, were employed in, about this matter. And he had a couple of assistants, Meshavlan and Sabbatiah, the Levite, helped them. And the children of the captivity did so. And Ezra the priest, with certain of the chiefs of fathers, after the house of their fathers, and all of them by their names were separated and sat down in the first day of the tenth month, so it's about ten days later, to examine the matter. And they made an end with all the men that had taken strange wives by the first day of the first month. It goes on and continues to finish that chapter. There's about 115 that separated, that are mentioned. This is for the purification of the nation. And obviously, this was a radical surgery. I would not advise anyone to divorce their wife, even if it was a strange wife. But on a national level, this is what it took to cleanse that nation, to purify it. So you see, we have multiple wives issue. We have adultery. We have this foreign wives issue. And then we have close kin relationships. In Leviticus 20, And Amanda lied with his father's wife and covered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall be surely put to death. And it goes on. It talks about the wickedness of all these other relationships between siblings, in-laws, aunts, uncles, uh, nieces, and nephews. And how they would be cut off because of that wickedness. And then obviously in the same sex area, if a man lied with mankind and he lied as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They'll be surely put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And the last one, bestiology. And if a man or woman lie with a beast, they shall be surely put to death and ye shall slay the beast. You know, if you look at today, look how a lot of people worship animals. 
In their will, they say they will their estate to their pet. That seems crazy, but it happens, it is. And if you look how much uh, people have, a lot of people have treated their pets like children. So you can see these various kind of perversions that drifted away from what God originally planned what a marriage would look like. As a nation, we have drifted. And I think of it as just gradual. It's just gradual. It's been happening for the last probably 150 years. I would think the first seed that was probably planted was that of uh, evolution in the 1850s. Of course, most people rejected that, but that seed was planted. The elite and the people of higher intelligence, you know, uh, embrace that. There was the promotion of abortion, even back then. It was a promotion. Abortion's been promoted forever in various stages and forms. Uh, obviously, Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood is, is the big one here in America that is the promoter of it. But it's interesting. In the 30s, the issue of birth control came up, contraceptives. And... Obviously, there was a lot of discussion on that. There was a few Protestant churches that says, we will not take a stand on it. We'll let each individual family decide for themselves what they want to do. The Catholics responded to that in the 50s and said no, uh, but they came out with uh, uh, what you would say a self-controlled method, natural planning. In the late 60s, obviously, this was a freight train coming. And there was an encyclical writ written it's about 50 years ago, in July 1968. And the reason I mention that is because these seeds, you could see where more seeds were being planted. And in there, they said if contraceptive would become very uh, easily acquired, easily, you know, to the masses, that would actually destroy uh, our civilization. That has come to patrician. You can see that happening. Uh, obviously, the Catholics rejected that, carte blanche, uh, and swallowed that hook, line, and sinker to saying that we can do like the Protestants do. And obviously, Planned Parenthood was a big pusher of that. Zero population growth was a big pusher of that. And saying that was our responsibility to act responsible. Never saying that there was others. It wasn't long after that abortion got approved. Women has a right to destroy her child. And not long after that, in Wisconsin especially, we came up with no-fault divorce. No one's responsible. So we've been sliding for a long time. We've been drifting for a long time. And we don't even know it. We're like how we're so easily being destroyed little by little. The university professor from Arizona wrote about the, uh, the idea of what would do to women 
if contraceptive became widespread. And that's true today. So, where do we go from there? You see us slipping and you're, we scream, we write letters to our politicians and stuff and say change it, but the momentum of the nation is moving. And as a church, we have to respond to this. So the first thing I do is Gary shared on, you know, what is a good marriage? And what are, what are the same, what are you going to choose? Obviously, the battle's in the mind. And, uh, and I think young people and old, are you committed to moral purity? You have to come to grips with that. And we have a huge tendency to drift. The people in, from day one drifted. So it's like we're going to need discipline. And I was at the Father Sud camp here last weekend and talked about disciplining and discipling and dis- disciplining ourselves. And we kind of normally feel shared about how we're in spiritual warfare. And uh, he compared, he took the Navy SEAL training and then bridged it into our Christian life, how we're in warfare, how you have to know the enemy, how you have to prepare for the enemy. You have to know the enemy. And it's kind of interesting. They ran a, a lot of things they do in the Navy SEALs. Obviously, it's a very physical stamina, physical. But they give you physical tests to see where you are mentally or where you are. One of them is pretty interesting. They do various hikes carrying various things, 450-pound logs, etc., etc. But they had an exercise one day where they were going to, everyone had to pack their pack. And you had to have between 40 and 55 pounds in the pack. And you were going to be carrying it for it in this hike and whatever. Now, the idea of the 40 to 55 pounds has nothing to do with the endurance that you're going to endure in hiking. This was a little test of truthfulness. To see how truthful they were. They did this hike or whatever they did, this drill, and after they got done, sergeant calls him in and he weighs each pack. First guy, 55 pounds. Fine. You love that weight, don't you? (laughs) Next guy came in at 40-some. But it wasn't long, and someone had a pack with 36 pounds in it. Now, why would you only put 36 pounds in your pack? because it's a lot easier to carry 36 pounds than 55. The whole idea of that test, drill, was to test the men for truthfulness. Nothing to do with their endurance. See, we have a tendency, we want to drift and always cheat a little. And we think we can get away with it. 
But really what we want to do is we want to have trust built and truthfulness built. So I looked at these things that the Navy SEALs does, and they just copied it from the church, from the, you know. And we need to train our young people, to train our adults, train our families to be honest. We are many times just not honest about our relationships. So if I look at application, if I look at how do we apply this to our lives, I think the first thing you have to do is make a commitment to moral purity. And this is for young people, old people, married people, single people. It doesn't matter. A lot of men fall in their older age. So the commitment to moral purity, and I look at a couple of things that are really destructive in our society, and we have a tendency we don't want to go there many times. But obviously, pornography has led many young men and older men into, into destruction. Very much like alcohol and drugs. This is kind of sobering, but you have to come to grips with that. And if you struggle in that area, get help. That's what the church is for. That's what your spouses are for. Because you've got to know the enemy. And the enemy is usually self. I'm the biggest problem is self. I'm selfish, and I want to die to selfishness. So, committed to moral purity, it's just it's one of those things that you can see it travels through into many areas and into a nation to bring down a nation. I can test in accounting, I've seen a lot of men throw away their estate for a moment of pleasure. It just seems unreal. And we see it here in Solomon. We see it here in the nation of Israel. I can't overemphasize it. Somehow we have to get a grip on it. So apply that to your life. Uh, Got to know the enemy, and you want to conquer that enemy. One of the things they do in, in SEAL training is they test you to see if you're willing to die as opposed to give up. And I think knowing that Jesus died and God resurrected him. But are you willing to die for the cause of Christ? Basically. The Navy SEALs, how they test you to see if you're willing to die to make you jump into a pool, do a somersault, and swim 50 meters. And you've got to hit the wall. They don't care if you pass out, black out, anything. If you want to be a Navy SEAL, you've got to touch the wall and not come up. Now, you can imagine when you run out of air how you feel. Panic sets in. I'm going to die here. I'm going to burn up. I'm going to blow up. You can imagine what your lungs feel like and what your head feels like. 
But you have to be willing to trust to say that if I don't make the walls, that instructor is going to pull me out and revive me. Can you trust Jesus Christ to lift you up? Because that's what it really comes down to. That Navy SEAL, if he doesn't, if he passes out, if he blacks out, he's dependent upon that structure to bail him out and revive him. But if he knows he comes up for air, he's not going to be a Navy SEAL. See, he's got to put his trust in that instructor. He's going to save him. Just like, are we going to trust that Jesus Christ is going to pull us and save us in our Christian walk? Can you trust him for your future? Then, of course, if you make mistakes, I think everyone, I've made a lot of mistakes in relationships. There's the, some that defrauded others, divorced others. You can't change the past. All we can do is own it. So you have to own your mistakes, not cover them up. You gotta take responsibility for your actions. Once you own your failures, then you can move forward. It's not debilitating. I think of someone like, you know, if you uh, extorted money, you're always going around wondering who's looking over my shoulder. Am I going to get caught? The best thing I can do is own it. Say, hey, I stole 100000 from you, Doug. And repent of it. Right? Then I can have a clear conscience. Yes. I have to own my mistakes. And the last point that I'd like to make is we don't want to shrink back. We want to take the lead. So commitment to moral purity, I think, is one of the things in life that will pay huge dividends all through life, forever. It's one of the areas that has brought down many a man and women. Are you committed to a good marriage then? Can you rebuild? So you want to cast down the lies, you want to be committed to moral purity, you want to know the enemy, and you want to know how to conquer that enemy, an enemy of self. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, that you're doing a mighty work in each of our lives. Father, that we would face the truth, that we would not shrink back. And Father, that you set us free through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear 
your word. And Father, that we would be committed to a one-man woman, a one-woman man. Father, be with us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to give one